Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. I hope everyone, if you had some time off last week for whatever reason that may be, had a restful time off. Um, I didn't realize what day it was until I woke up. And that those are my favorite weeks. My favorite holiday weeks or days or whatever are the ones where like you celebrate the holiday and then you completely lose track of time until all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I have a job. I have responsibilities. When do those start again? And you look down, it's like, oh, in 12 hours. That is me today. Um, in terms of news, it was, you know, it was a holiday, so there was not a whole lot going on. Um, one thing is that now that shows are back in production, we're getting some shakeups and some stuff like that. So Law & Order, the, the original that was rebooted uh, three seasons ago, two seasons ago, I forget which, um, lost its lead. So when it came back, this is the one that when it left the air, it was like, I think it was uh, Jesse Martin, who is now on The Irrational. Uh, you know, from Rent and the Flash and all that shit. Um, I think he was the what he was the lead when this went off the air. Maybe Anthony Anderson too. Uh, and when it, they brought it back, the new detective lead that they were following was uh, Jeffrey Donovan as Frank Cosgrove, and he was the lead for two seasons. He left the show over, quote, creative differences, whatever that means, <laughs> and his characters being written out, which this is nothing new. I've, I barely watch Law & Order. I, I mean, I, I used to watch SVU reruns on USA, but, like, I, I haven't, wa like, sat down and regularly watched any of these Law & Orders in ever. <laughs> uh, but I know a lot of people do, but one of the things that they, that they routinely do and that they can do because of the structure that, it, you know, it follows... Um, usually like a precinct rather than um, a particular set of characters is that they can write people in and out of the show. And, you know, you get new prosecutors, new defenders, new detectives, new captains, blah, blah, blah. So this is not new. And he is being replaced. Jeffrey Donovan will be replaced by Reed Scott, who I talked a little bit about a few weeks ago. He was in this current season of American Horror Stories, the episode with Gwyneth Paltrow as the rogue AI system. And he was also on uh, Mrs. Maisel and Veep. And he is going to be the new male lead on the flagship mothership OG Law and Order. Speaking of shows that old people love, uh, Blue Bloods, which, as you know, I have discussed this before. It is one of my favorite shows. I don't care that it is the butt of every old person joke. I don't care that I am for sure the only person under 40, and I am well under 40, that watches it. I love Blue Bloods. I love it. I don't care. Um, like, literally, I was just watching... I was watching Fargo, which I'm going to talk about on the podcast today, and there's a Blue Bloods joke that every time someone wants to say, LOL, you're stodgy and old and simple, they make a Blue Bloods joke. Bad Mom's Christmas, um, Fargo, it's just, that's 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 what you do. And it's, it's easy pickings because it is one of the most viewed shows on TV, but it's not, um, but it's only viewed by people like out of the demographic tracking range. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like when people, uh, when networks 
um, sell ad space to advertisers, typically they're gunning for the 18 to 49 demographic, you know, younger people with their disposable income. Um, so it gets very low ratings in that age range, but a high number of viewers because everyone watching it is like 65 and older. It's, of course they are. It's Tom Selleck, you know, uh, but I don't care. I love it. Anyway, Blue Bloods, it was announced, is that this upcoming season will be its last. And this is not surprising. I talked last year on the podcast, or at the end, you know, earlier in 2023, end of last season, that when Blue Bloods got renewed for the 14th season, the cast renegotiated their contracts for a single-year contract. And I think I even mentioned at the time that um, all the leads took a pay cut in order to get this final season. So it's no surprise that this is the last season. What is surprising is how they are going about it. So what they are doing is because when they renegotiated that contract, they did it for one final season of 18 episodes. And then they had the disruption of the strikes rather than ending it with 10 episodes for this current TV season. They are going to film all 18 episodes, air 10 of them, starting in February of 2024 through to the end of the 2023-24 season in May. And then they're going to air the final eight episodes in the fall of 2024. So even though it's going to be this TV season and this filming season is its last, they're going to make them all now and just split it into two seasons, which seems to be popular amongst a lot of cable series. And I've been talking about all of those that have been doing it, like American Horror Story and Chucky and etc. So I'm sad about that, but I'm not surprised. And yeah. I mentioned Fargo. <laughs> um, that's going to be... Uh, I want to talk quickly about that because I I don't think I've ever mentioned that show. And I don't know why I would because it's been off the air the whole time I've been doing this podcast. But I feel like Fargo is one of those TV shows that you hear a lot about because it's very prestigious and it gets nominated for awards and stuff. But no one really watches it. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So this is season five that just started. And I, yeah, like I I always saw it on, you know, like year end best of list. It's nominated for Emmys and Golden Globes and SAG Awards and all that stuff. And I realized I only watched one season. And the only reason I watched that season is because Carrie Coon was on it. Um, and this was after she did The Leftovers and I was obsessed with her. Still am. She's on The Gilded Age right now and she's fantastic. Um, but I watched this because I loved her so much and she was in that season. And so was Ewan McGregor and uh, David Thewlis. And it was about, um, what was it about? <laughs> This is the problem is that I, um, it was about, so Ewan McGregor played twins and they were like going to steal a coin or a stamp or something. One of the twins wanted to steal, I think it was a stamp, but maybe it was a coin. It was some like collector's item from his other twin brother to sell because he was in debt or something. And I think the twin got killed. And it was, you know, like bumbling crooks and assassins and the oh, you betcha female detective at the center, like the movie. 
and I remember liking the season. Like I thought it was really fun. The acting on was phenomenal, but like I don't really remember very much about it. I remember when the fourth season started, that was with Chris Rock and uh, Keegan-Michael Key. I wanted to watch it, but it was during the pandemic and I didn't have the, the brain capacity. And then no one seemed to really like it. Uh, you know, critics were like, this is good, but meh. And yeah, but like season two was on with Kirsten Dunst. I never went back and watched. I think I watched one episode of that. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton was in season one. They're like this is always one of the, it's one of these shows that people always talk, and by people I mean critics, always talk about how great it is. But then even the one season I watched, I remember enjoying it, but have, but I can't recall like, as you just listened, <laughs> almost anything about it. Yet, when the fifth season was announced, I was like, oh, yay, I'm glad that show is back. And I don't really know why until I watched this first episode of this season. Okay, so if you are one of those people, I'm bringing it around. If you are one of those people, you should know this by now. I am so, I go on so many tangents, and I, I but I always come back. I always have a point. I always remember to make my point. Trust me. So anyway, coming back is if you... Okay, if you are one of the people who is always like, oh, what is this show? Should I actually watch it? Do people watch it? Watch it. Because it actually is, I am agreeing with critics, it is super entertaining. And for my money, this first episode will remain memorable. Like I just mentioned, I don't know what the fuck happened on season three. Um, I don't think I will forget the first episode of season five anytime soon. So there we go. All right, Fargo, if you are unaware, the movie from 1996 by the Coen brothers who won an Oscar for their screenplay, Frances McDormand won her first Oscar for uh, playing the female detective who was very pregnant and very, oh, you betcha, yeah, and, you know, making fun of the Minnesota accent and all that good shit. And it was basically about a used car salesman in the movie William H. Macy who uh, hired people to kidnap his wife so he could get ransom money for her. And then, you know, it went haywire. And the whole purpose, or at least what my understanding of the film, which I've only seen once many years ago, it's not a favorite of mine, I know it is a favorite of many, is it was like a juxtaposition of a lot of things, right? Like that was kind of the point of it, is that we're like juxtaposing these opposite forces kind of. So it was one very darkly funny and satirical in a lot of ways, while also being very violent so that was like, it was a juxtaposition of tones, you know, comedy and uh, crime drama kind of butted up against each other. The idea of like this like grisly violence. This is the movie, if you've ever heard the phrase, I'm going to put you in the wood chipper. It's That's from Fargo, that they literally put a guy through a wood chipper and we see like the blood on the snow and all the gore and stuff. So it was that juxtaposition of like these people who are of comedy and violence. It's a juxtaposition of this put upon niceness of the Midwest and this cheeriness and, you know, like we see Francis McDormand's character up and happy every day, even though there's only like six hours of daylight. <laughs> and, you know, she's driving these like vast, open, empty expanses, um, but never falters in her kindness. V 
you know, juxtaposed with the darkness of these people that we trust that seem very nice on the outside, have this darkness and a violence and a desperation to them. So like the kind of like nice versus what's underneath the surface. And that was reinforced in the film and now on the TV show by this disclaimer at the beginning of every episode that this is a true story and, you know, to protect the innocent, the names have been changed and to those who have survived, whatever. Um, and that's not true. Like, it's literally not based on a true story. It is not a true story. It's all fiction. But kind of also that idea then of what is truth? Is it this put upon niceness, is that true? Or is it the darkness underneath that is true? Which one is our true self? Which one is the true story? Is it the one we put on or the one we are actually living or both? And that is kind of, that that idea has carried over to the TV show in particular this season. So season five, and again, I will throw this out there. If you've never watched Fargo, start with season five. It is an anthology series. They are all self-contained seasons. You do not need to have watched the movie or any previous seasons to understand this particular season. And this particular season of Fargo is about a woman named uh, Dot who is living in, I'm going to I can't remember the name of the town. I'm going to try to look it up really quick as I'm talking. Um, who is living in a town in Minnesota. And it's not Fargo. I'll throw that out there. It's not Fargo. Scandia. Okay, so it's Scandia, Minnesota, which is near the border of North Dakota. And that's one thing that is very confusing about Fargo is that most of the seasons do not actually take place in Fargo, North Dakota. They've taken place elsewhere. Uh, the one that I watched was in St. Cloud, Minnesota. This one is in uh, Scandia. Scandia. I don't know why I'm having so much fun saying Scandia. And then it goes back and forth over the border into North Dakota as well. And it follows, uh, like I said, Juno Temple, who uh, you probably know if you've watched Ted Lasso. She was on that. She was also on, um, oh my God, what was the show? Dirty John on Bravo, the season with, the first season with Connie Britton that was based on the podcast. She was in Vinyl on HBO. That's what I know her from. She was in... She's been in movies, too. What was she in? Um, I feel like she was in Maleficent, maybe? Is that what I'm thinking of? It might be Maleficent. Anyway, that's not important. I'm sorry. You didn't come here to listen to a random person's filmography. Regardless. So, okay. So, Dot plays this very typical housewife from the Midwest. And immediately, we are introduced to both her dark side and the dark side of the town she's living in. So we, the first thing we see is a title card defining Minnesota nice, this idea of like the Midwestern niceness that is very put upon. But not only that, it's also the name of the accent that people do the, the, the really long vowels and the flat, the, the oh yeah, like all of that stuff that you associate with like Sarah Palin and shit. And Bobby's world, <laughs> that is Minnesota nice. And the accents are very pronounced and very exaggerated on Fargo. And that's part of what I think makes it so entertaining. But regardless, so we start with the scene, this title card of Minnesota nice. And we, so 
we get that of like you know the niceness the kindness the the midwestern hospitality also the accent and then immediately smash cut to a school board meeting where everyone is beating the ever-loving shit out of each other <laughs> and then we see juno temple dot and her daughter trying to escape and she tases her daughter's math teacher who grabs her and then she accidentally tases a police officer trying to break up a fight so she gets carted away in handcuffs and fingerprinted and everything over this because she accidentally tased this police officer. So it's assault of a police officer, right? And she tries to explain to the arresting officer that, you know, it was a misunderstanding, blah, blah, blah. And she seems concerned that her fingerprints are ending up in a database. And then one or two scenes later, we learn why, as she's sitting at home knitting and watching daytime TV, a man in a mask breaks into her home and kidnaps her but not before she um fights back uh she uses a lighter and hairspray to light one of the intruders masks on fire and he gets you know crazy burns all over his face then she falls down the stairs and as they're checking to see if she's a, a, um, alive she stabs the other one with an ice skate tries to get away but she ends up kidnapped vibes from the movie right um, and then the rest of the episode is her escaping from her kidnappers. It is wild. It is violent. It is enthralling. And then by the end, she is back home making pancakes for her daughter. That's the end of the first episode. It is wild. And I don't want to say a whole lot more because it's so entertaining to watch. Um, but clearly, Dot... Dorothy is not who she says she is. And we get more insight into that in episode two, which also aired this past week, when we meet John Hamm's character. And he is, uh, what's his, Sheriff Tillman. And he is sheriff of a small town in North Dakota. And he has been looking for Dot. So we figure out very quickly in episode two that the kidnappers are trying to bring Dot to Sheriff Tillman. Uh, we don't entirely know why, but we do get a sense that he is uh, deeply misogynistic and Bible thumping. And he, but, but let's just say that this season takes place in 2019. Um, if it had taken place in January of 2021, it would not be set in North Dakota. It would be set at the Capitol building. Do you catch my drift? He's that kind of guy. Um, but he also has like a very oddly like Shakespearean, not Shakespearean, but like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but so like the FBI show up at his ranch and he's in a hot tub out back, like facing these beautiful planes and they ask him to get out. And I'm going to see if I can find the quote really quick as I'm talking. They ask him to get out of the tub and he says something like, oh my God, I'm trying to think of it. Moist repose is the phrase. Like, does it bother you to be, D does, oh, here it is. I found it. Does my discussing matters of state in moist repose bother you? And he has pierced nipples as he's saying this. And he's laying in a hot... It's fucking wild and hysterical. But, but like, so deadpan and delivered straight. And that's, again, why the show is so entertaining. Is that everything is so quirky and absurd. But taken very seriously. 
it's 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 so weird so we so okay so our two main characters are this sheriff who is looking for dot and dot herself who ends up back home and then like in episode two home alone style booby traps her house with her daughter to keep any intruders out meanwhile she's lied the whole time and claims that the kidnapping never happened she just left and went for a barefoot walk in the snow um so that's it's it's just it's so fun it is dark but also funny it is quirky but also like i said weirdly deep in some ways we get so many memorable side characters i mentioned the blue bloods um joke dot's new husband is also a used car salesman but his mother is played by jennifer jason lee and she is very rich I forget what she does, or maybe they haven't told us yet. I'm not entirely sure. But she is very wealthy and has, like, a trust and doesn't trust Dot because she thinks she's after the family money, even though her husband and Jennifer Jason Lee's character son, like, doesn't really have any money. So they're distrustful of each other. But the most interesting part of this is, okay, so I mentioned Minnesota Nice, that... And the idea of like, what what is the real story, the thing we're portraying or the thing that is underneath it is Jennifer Jason Lee's character has no accent. She has no Minnesota accent. She sounds kind of like a mobster and talks like a mobster. Whereas her son, Dot's husband, is very much the stereotype of the Midwestern guy. He has the accent. He is Minnesota nice. He um, is always, you know, cheerful and oh would it bother you if I watch blue bloods before you go to sleep you know that like that kind of thing and he like he's nerdy and wussy yeah you know but then the mother has no trace of that that like I don't know if it's an implication that once you hit a level of wealth you no longer have to pretend so you don't have the accent It's very interesting. And then there's a confrontation in episode two, which this is spoilers. So, I mean, nothing like crazy, but uh, the mother confronts Dot. and It's like, I don't trust you, you bitch. And Dot in her crazy Minnesota put on accent all of a sudden drops it. And is like, hmm, you're right. You shouldn't trust me uh, because I'm dangerous. So watch your back, bitch. And then she goes right back into the accent and talking about making pancakes for her daughter. And it's very funny. But this that's like the, the theme of the show and in particular this season of the act that we put on, the performance of being nice and masking our darker urges, like that we're painting over maybe a sordid past or we're painting over our imperfections, even as simple as, you know, like maybe not wanting to admit that we're not as wealthy as people think that we are, or that, I don't know, like a school board is a, is a very good example of this in everyday life. And so when we start with the brawl at the school board meeting in the first scene is very telling that it's a performance of either kindness or niceness or more recently saying things that we think we need to say 
um, doing things that we're told we need to do, or just like, you know, like all of these conservative members of school boards who are just parroting issues that they don't understand or have any actual connection to and like banning books indiscriminately and not knowing anything. But like that is a performance. They're saying this is about the kids, but it's not about the kids. It's about power, right? It's very much the same idea here that what we're putting out into the world is not necessarily what we want and what we need and what we're actually trying to accomplish. It's the, on the surface, we're very funny, but we're hiding a dark underbelly. That we're very kind and forthcoming and we're smiling and showing all these teeth, but what we're, it's, there's a fine line between a grin and a grimace, right? Or there's a fine line between a smile and a, and baring your fangs, right? Like it's very that, very interesting. And like I said, this first episode, it's an action thriller, which I was not expecting. Because like I said, that the season I watched season three was entertaining, but not exactly an action movie. It was, that was more in the vein of, of the movie Fargo, where it's kind of like the bumbling idiots who are also happen to be mercenaries. No, this was like mercenaries full tilt. Murder, violence, gore. Um, it was like I don't I don't know. It it was it was kind of like watching like a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie or or something. It was it was so well shot and well paced and like I said it was an action thriller. We get chases, we get gunfights, we get shit blowing up. Um it it was really really well done. And even if you don't continue the rest of the season, I highly recommend just taking, I think it was like 50 something minutes, take the hour and watch that first episode because it's it's going to be up for awards. It's going to be one of the things that, like I said, all these critics talk about it, but no one watches it. Do yourself a favor and watch it. The, what this season, these first couple episodes I've learned is, oh, even if no one really does watch it, critics do know what they're talking about sometimes. That like they they do recognize well done television. So I really liked these first two episodes. I'm really excited to see where it goes because the first couple were so unpredictable and wild that I'm hoping that energy sustains and it goes to some unexpected places. I love the mashing up of this dark black comedy with the violence and the and the the hidden identity and all that stuff it's fun it's a really fun show and the fact that it's playing out with like strong female leads as our main like entry point into this weird world is also really entertaining and i th- Yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. If you're a fan of the movie, there are definitely Easter eggs here. If you are a fan of just the weird, there's stuff here like randomly in season, in episode two, there's a couple characters that are just driving down the highway and the soundtrack is This Is Halloween from The Night Before Christmas. Don't know why. There's no mention of Christmas otherwise. I don't think like they're in a car, but I don't get the impression it's like on the radio or something. It's just weird. Um, and the acting is great. Juno Temple is fierce and the the facade that the whole season is based around is there and super cool. John Hamm is hot 
<laughs> and magnetic and shows his butt in episode two. So you have that to look forward to. And as the pierced nipples, like I mentioned, that's fun. Jennifer Jason Lee, powerful, loved her. And then Joe Curie, um, from Stranger Things. What is his name? Steve? Yeah, Steve from Stranger Things has a very against type role as John Hamm's sheriff character's like psychopath son. And he's really great and weird <laughs> and fun to watch. He might be my favorite performance, if only because it's so different from Stranger Things. And yeah, it's just, it's, there's something for everyone, I think, to like, unless you can't do violence. Like, the violence is kind of a deal breaker, I know, for some people. And there's definitely violence in, like, throughout the first couple episodes. And throughout, if I'm going based on the season that I watched, throughout the, se- the series as well. Um, but yeah, there's a reason it's prestige TV. And it makes you want to go back and watch the seasons that I miss. And probably not going to, <laughs> because time but yeah Fargo season five is on Tuesdays at 10 o'clock on FX and then streaming Wednesdays on Hulu it's 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 good it's good and there hasn't been a whole lot of good TV this year and I definitely recommend it like as much as I complain I think I mentioned this last week as much as I complain about how there wasn't a lot of TV to watch all of a sudden there's a glut of stuff and it's pretty good like I'm loving this season of the Gilded Age that's Prestige TV that's back on Sundays we have Fargo just started um we're like really getting back into um these like some strong TV and I'm looking very much looking forward uh to the rest of this season which will be 10 episodes so it'll take us into January that's all that I have TV-wise, I think, to discuss. Um, but let's get into my recommendations for Hallmark Christmas movies. I'm recording this on Sunday morning, and I am all caught up so far on movies. That means that I watched the one on Wednesday, the one on Thursday, the two on Friday, the two on Saturday. So I have watched six movies in the past couple of days. And I also went to the movies and saw The Holdovers, which I also recommend if you can find that playing near you. And so two more tonight. Tonight we have our Christmas mural and a Biltmore Christmas. Um, But these have been like far and away better than almost everything leading up to this week. Catch Me If You Claws, the Thursday movie with Luke McFarlane and Italia Ricci, I loved. That is so far my favorite of the year. It was, it was like the third thing, the third genre it was was romance which i enjoy typically in hallmark channel usually they're like a romance first and foremost this one was first and foremost um a crime caper secondly a comedy like a slapstick comedy and then in third position was a romance and i loved it like they really committed to the bit luke mcfarlane was very silly so was italia ricci it was you, it did not take itself seriously, and I loved that about it. I also really liked Holiday Road. I also really liked Haul Out the Holly Lit Up, even though I got a little exhausted by that one because it was kind of mean-spirited. And it was very much like Deck the Halls, the one I talked about that last year, the year before, with Danny DeVito and Matthew Roderick, where, like, the neighbors hate each other because one has a really great holiday display. And you find out that, like, he's has the holiday display to cover up how insecure he is about his, like, financials and his height and his hot wife and all that stuff 
like it was very much that so like i got a little exhausted by all the fighting like halfway through so that was but it was it was still very funny um so yeah i'm looking forward to the last couple today but coming up this week on thursday is this terrible movie that i already mentioned because it aired on the app already but it's airing on tv on thursday time for her to come home for christmas facing her first christmas without her mother and looking to avoid loneliness carly heads to a quaint town to lead the church choir at christmas once there carly meets matthew a man back in town after serving in the army like could this hit on any more things that annoy me you know like oh great dead mom oh great church choir oh great veterans like not to say that i don't appreciate our vets because i i'm i don't think i'm legally allowed to say that but like i don't like when the armed forces and veterans in particular are used just to like emotionally manipulate us and that's all that they're ever used for in a hallmark movie um positives are that the vet is played by chris carmack who uh was the gay country singer will on Nashville and was also from Grey's Anatomy. Um, so if nothing else, I'll get to hear him sing again and look at his pretty face. But I don't like anything in this series of movies. This is the Blake Shelton song series. I think this is like number six or something. Like none of them are good. The best one was the Lacey Chabert one. And that's only because there was like a slight mystery, but it was overall a bad movie. I don't know. These are just never good. And I'm not looking forward to it. Friday on the Hallmark Channel. Norwegian holiday. Okay, so for those of you keeping track, so far this year we have been to France, we have been to Germany, we have been to London, um, we are now, we've been to Christmas Island, <laughs> we are now going to Norway. My Norwegian holiday. JJ, grieving the loss of her grandmother and seeking dissertation inspiration, stumbles upon an unexpected holiday destiny. That sounds boring. Saturday, a not-so-royal Christmas. A tabloid journalist, Charlotte, attempts to land an interview with a reclusive count. In response, the royal family has a groundskeeper pose as the count since the real one fled years ago. Um, okay, this sounds like if this is a slapstick comedy, I think I'm in. I love the cast. It's Brooke Dorsey and Will Kemp. Um, but I don't like the royal ones. And then Sunday is Christmas with a kiss. A woman returns home to help with her family's Christmas carnival and romance ignites. A photojournalist curates a surprise reunion. Now, those are listed as two separate sentences and maybe two separate plot points. I'm very confused by what this movie is, like, actually about. Um, Christmas with, A woman returns home to help with her family's Christmas carnival and romance ignites. A photojournalist creates, curates a surprise reunion. Um, like, okay, so is the photo... Is it a love triangle? I have no idea. And to, the, also the app doesn't list like who the woman is, just that the guys are Ronnie Rowe and Jamie Calica. And Ronnie Rowe, I recognize, he's been in some of these Hallmark movies before, but I don't know who Jamie Calica is and I don't know who the woman is. Let me see, Is no. And they don't list her on the website either. So that's weird. Let me see if the website has a better description. Oh, nope, no, they don't. They don't, oh, Michelle, uh, Michelle Morgan 
is the woman. Don't know who that is. Um, I'm kind of intrigued by this only because there's like literally no information about it. And it's the first movie of the year that has all black leads. And although they tend to saddle them with like the, the bad scripts sometimes. Uh, yeah, I'm not looking forward to any of these. But um, I'm going to recommend... It sounds silly. And even though I don't really like the, the royal ones usually, I'm going to go with a not-so-royal Christmas in hopes that it is a crazy, over-the-top, mistaken identity comedy. But also Will Kemp is just really great. He was already in A Merry Scottish Christmas and he had a really fun cameo in that. He was in Jolly Good Christmas last year and he was opposite Lacey Chabert in Christmas Waltz because he's a professionally trained ballet dancer. Um, and he's been on some other stuff. He, I, I know him from A Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce on Bravo. Uh, I like him and I like Brooke Dorsey as well. She was in one of my all-time favorite Hallmark Christmas movies from I think it was 2017, Miss Christmas. And uh, her movies don't tend to be my favorite, but I like her. She's very uh, cute and fun and like nice to watch. But th- that I'm gonna I don't I don't like the sound of any of these. So by default, I'm gonna go with the Saturday because those tend to be the better ones. Although I'm I'm vaguely curious to see what they do with a Christmas movie set in Norway, because so far the ones that they have set in foreign countries they haven't really capitalized on the foreign locations like. I don't know, Joyeux Noël was set in France, but they spent their whole time in a hotel and a market that could have been literally anywhere and just talking about French traditions rather than like showing them. So that didn't do much for me. Heidelberg Holiday, again, didn't like they talked a lot about traditions, but like didn't really show much of the actual country of Germany or of the world famous Chris Kindlemart that they were supposed to be at. So that was very strange. Christmas at Notting Hill, again, did a lot of like, oh, Christmas crackers and we call soccer football, but didn't really show a lot of London locations. Although that one probably did more than the others so far. Um, Yeah, so I'm looking forward to see what they do with Norway as a location, but I I also know that they haven't been doing the best job of showcasing locations, so who knows. My recommendation for the week is a not-so-royal Christmas on Saturday night. But seriously, if you're listening to this on Monday and you have Peacock, um, catch Catch Me A Few Claws goes off of Peacock today. Today is the last day to watch on Peacock, otherwise you have to catch it on DVR or one of the channels that gets... Uh, Hallmark Channel, YouTube TV, Philo TV, Friendly TV, all of those things, um, or on the Hallmark Movies Now app or on TV, when it, on demand, whatever. And also Holiday Road is going off. Oh, wait, Catch Me If You Claws might be done already. I forget. Holiday Road might be gone today as well. It might be the last day on Monday. And Hall at the Holly will be on until Tuesday night. So you have a little bit of time with that one. But yeah, watch one of those because those were all better than almost everything that aired this season so far and they sound better than anything coming up this weekend. Um, And we're getting real close to the holidays. I'm very excited. I'm hopeful that this holiday season is not as shit as some have been recently. I hope that everyone is starting to... uh, Speaking of Fargo and the fake niceness i enjoy the fake niceness of the holiday season whether it's people actually are their best selves or just projecting an image of their best selves i don't care um i like 
people smiling at me and being nice to me and saying thank you for once all year long. So I am looking forward to this holiday season. And also I'm like creeping up on 100 episodes. So I feel like, I don't know, either maybe that's the end point for the podcast or maybe I do something big and fun and I don't know. But Fargo is out. Watch Fargo. Watch these Hallmark Christmas movies and bring yourself some joy. Or in general, just watch something that brings you joy. Uh, I love this time of year for the nostalgia. Like, a Good Burger 2 came out this week, and I was going to talk about it, but there was, it was bad, but I really loved it. So find something that brings you joy. This time of year, I love watching things that remind me of simpler times, that remind me of happiness, that bring me joy because they're so familiar and comforting. And if none of these things that I'm you know, strike a chord with you, that's fine. Watch something that you love. Rewatch something. I'm rewatching Will and Grace right now and loving it. You know, when I get, if I have like a spare hour or so, I'll watch a couple episodes of that. Like, want, do something that brings you joy this holiday season because the world is shit. It's bad. So try to find pockets of happiness. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you all for tuning into this episode. I'll be back next week with more recaps, more reviews, more analyses, and more recommendations. Have a great week, everyone.